We just thank you for, for being so faithful, God. And just truly being a God more than enough. That, uh, that even a little bit of you, God, is so much uh, so much better than we could ever have for ourselves. So we just thank you and really praise you. That, uh, that every time you reveal yourself to us, God, that it's just a little bit better. So we, uh, God, we just thank you. We praise you. And we pray you continue to... Uh, just continue to minister to our hearts with your truth. Just speak your truth and let your truth be known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I told them I got him slated for 45 minutes of straight divine revolution. And I told him we're going to do 43 minutes of napping first. <laughs> and then we'll do the divine revolution, okay? <laughs> Let's dim the lights again. <laughs> this morning, so the Lord is faithful. We did not get a new car. Thank him for that, honestly. We got out of there without any high-pressure sales, and uh, we have the same amount as before of money, which is, you know, way better than less. Zero. So zero is zero, and that's all it ever needs to be, right? So uh, I was reading through this afterwards, um, Psalm 119, obviously, it's a, it's, it is the longest psalm there's uh, there's a lot of good stuff. Um, when I read it, this this uh, this particular segment stood out to me the most. It, it's uh, 97, it's, it's part 97, and uh, it's entitled "Mem." And uh, it starts with <laughs> it starts with uh, "Oh how I love your law." It is my meditation all the day. And I think that stood out to me from a place of conviction because uh, I, I do not love the law and it is not my meditation all the day. And I think um, that's why it stood out to me the most is this this is coming from an author who is, isn't just writing this to impress anybody. This is from, from his heart and soul right here. Um, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation 
so that that stood out to me a lot because uh, before 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 coming to before coming to new creation and and uh, and knowing Pastor Eric and having real conversations with the people that are closest to me, I I would have considered myself a Christian. Um, and now I'm starting to understand that I was a watered down, just do church type person. And uh, and now I know that the understanding from all the teachers um, has always been supposed to have come from the Lord Himself. That that He absolutely has to be my number one. And. Uh, and I think that's where this author is coming from as well. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false one. It just shows you that this person, for whatever reason, I, I don't think we know who the author is, but for whatever reason, this person, there's uh, there's desperation in, in what this person is writing. And uh, and I think the only way that, that the Lord's words can be as sweet as this person is talking about is if you've known the, how sour things could be. I think that's the only way to get that perception of how of sweeter than honey to my mouth is if you've truly been down down to the depths of the bottom and and known what what sour tastes like in order for the words of God to, to taste sweeter than honey because most of the time they they pierce I mean they hurt sometimes so um, and then at the very end ending this through your precepts I get understanding therefore I hate every false way. Is that's just spoke to me because every time I hear something that I don't believe is true, I find this disdain, I find this disgust inside of me, where I think, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I hate every false way. I just, I, I thirst for truth. In, uh, in my own life, and I thirst for truth in the lives of, uh, of, of every person that I come in contact with. Um, our car salesman today um, tried to, he was, he's a salesman, so he was, he was, uh, he was just trying to be friendly, and uh, he was talking about something that he wasn't necessarily proud of in his life, and he said, but I do my best, and I said, do you? And he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, no, I don't. I don't do my best. And I said, yeah, me neither. And he said, there's not a lot of people like you that will, that will say stuff like that to people that they don't know. And I said, well, I hope you're one of them because we need it. Because I need someone to call me out on things that are false in my life. And I think, I think that's precisely what the world, it's not the only thing we need. But I think it would help a lot if we all did that for one another. Just kind of said, you know, that might not be true in your life. And uh, I speak against it. And the guy, I mean, he, we left and he hugged us. I mean, we didn't buy a car from him. So, 
he didn't have to do that. You know, I didn't want him to. But uh, he, uh, something different happened to that guy today than than had before, and it was the it was the interaction Kendra and I had with this man and Jesus speaking through us about the smallest thing in his life. But all we did was say, "Are you really? Are, are you being honest with me right now? Because you don't have to do this." And uh, and it changed his day. I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen from there, but. This is the part of Psalms that spoke to me, of Psalm 19 that spoke to me the most, and, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think I lost a little bit of my voice during worship. someone else shares and share specifically what the Lord is teaching them through it or convicting them through it. It's just amazing how fresh it hits you. It like just brings tears to my eyes, you know, how powerful the Word of God is. And um, you know what's funny? I, I, uh, I was in the desert on Monday and I was reading kind of all over, mostly in the book of Colossians, but in several of the New Testament epistles, and it's amazing how when the corporate gathering, when the gathering of the saints is described, it, um, it talks frequently about how we are to encourage each other by, by bringing a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song. And, um, and I've always read that, but I didn't even really realize that, that that's actually what the Lord is having us do right now. <laughs> bring a psalm, I bring a psalm every day, every time we're together. We've never done that before, and I didn't just doing that because of, because of those verses. I don't, you know, I I, remember, I, I I was brought back to those verses after we already started this, and um, and it, now it makes sense to me of, of why when Jenna, you know, shared at our house why it meant so much to me, you know, because everything that we do that we do that aligns with the Word of God, there's power. There's there's like divine supernatural power there. And it's just cool to see how the Spirit God gives and leads us into He's just so perfect. So, someone read real quick um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And I'm either going to have to stand up and read it real loud. Good, because I was actually just going to suggest a mom to it. Okay. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord 
God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, or your house, and on your gates. I love this passage, and it takes me back to um, thinking about, you know, God inviting a, a people group into covenant relationship with him, a God that wanted to show himself both to and through this people, and, and giving him, giving them his word in order to do that. How learning his word would have looked different back then than it does now. You know, don't, don't you think somehow that what church has become and what teaching and preaching has become um, has just, I think, skewed what God's word was always really intended to be for us. And I think a passage like this is just a great reminder you know, to me, I think about Moms, honestly, when I when I hear this passage, and, and um, I suppose that's because the guys are you know out working you know for the most part during the day. But I love how this passage talks about you know you 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 talk about my ways to your kids when you get up in the morning, and when you're eating breakfast together, and when you're cleaning the house, and when you're walking the dog, and when you're at the gym, and when you're at the library, you just talk about God's ways all the time, right? It's not an hour once a week where you guys go over there and be entertained by that guy, and we'll go over here and be entertained by this guy, and, and if we do learn something, it's so we can kind of, you know, have some theological understanding, or we can be able to answer a question correctly, or we can... You know, it's about theology versus I, I think I think that these original people, these original gifts from the Father to them, it was about living life, right? Always and only. This is how I'm calling you to live as, as my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to prove myself and show myself to you and through you to all of creation, and it's, and it's done by walking out my perfect commandments. And it's just not enough for us to know the word of God, saints. And unfortunately, even that is done by the wayside so often. But it is not enough to know the word of God. We have to walk in this. We have to be obedient to this. Right? And, and the knowing it piece is critical, and this is why this passage is so important. And, and, if, and if moms, if this might encourage me to you, moms, if you don't know this passage, and if you aren't convicted by this passage, read it. Read it again. Read it tonight. Read it tomorrow. Read it the next day. Read this passage and really hear what the Lord is saying. 
his ways, his the perfection of his ways, the perfection of his character, the perfection of his holiness, the perfection of his faithfulness, those things are to be about every conversation is flavored by God in some way. And again, it's all for the purpose of walking this out. And the reason that's so critical, as we talked about like three weeks ago now, is because we have an enemy that intends to change what? Seeks to change the times and the law. Right? We have an enemy who seeks to change the times and the law. Daniel chapter, I can't remember. Okay, so, so what does that mean? That means that Satan's desire in the earth as he comes against those who have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commitments of God, his intention is to trick us into not walking in God's ways. Into walking in, as Wayne said, the, all the falseness in this world. Right? Falseness that as the Holy Spirit begins to truly lead us into all truth and that sanctification process is happening and the renewing of the mind is happening and, and seeing the truth of God's word is beginning to take the scales off of our eyes and we start to see it all, you start to disdain the lies, do you not? You start to disdain the counterfeits and the compromises in all the deception right in the church in particular that's what my heart bleeds for and that's what I get angry over not at the church at the deceiver Right? Because he's changing things. He's already changing things. He's already changed much. Right? So this passage is so, it's so important that our life, especially as we raise our kids, especially as we, as we lead our family, it's about aligning with God's word. You know, to just learn this stuff, I love the analogy of, of exercise because there's so many world-class athletes in here. Right, Nick? Right? If we got together and, and read about and discussed and talked about and came to all the correct conclusions about how to exercise in this space, it would basically accomplish nothing. Right? It accomplishes nothing until you go out and walk it out. Well, the, the truth of God's word is the same. We are not here to perfect our theologies. Right? We're here to learn how to live as as new creations in new creation. Amen? So when we start talking about what we're going to talk about today, which is what the truth of God's word says about marriage, about husbands, about wives, about authority and submission, about the ordering in the home, it's very important that we Hear the truth of God's word and align with the truth of God's word. Right? This is where the rubber hits the road. When, when we hear the truth about what God defines as marriage and as the ordering in a, in a home, we must align with it. Right? And in fact, I'm so convicted about this today. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a little um, time of exposing... Uh, the things that would prevent us from obedience. Alright? So so the word of God says, give me understanding that I might not sin against you. Give me understanding that I might keep your laws all the days of my life. So understanding is critical. 
But even when we have understanding, and this is what I want to talk about for just a few minutes, even when we have understanding, we will still sometimes disobey. Right? That becomes a choice. That becomes a decision. That becomes rebellion, I would argue. And I want to talk about why we rebel and when we rebel. All right? And I want you guys to accuse yourselves or expose things that have worked on yourselves regarding disobeying God's word. That makes sense. I got a I got a list in my head. I got a, a number of experiences that I've had of why I have chosen to just disobey God's word when I've had clarity, when I've had understanding, and yet my choice was disobedience. I want to expose the why behind those. And when we expose these, I want to I want to seek to. Um, Try and come up with scripture that supports why. That's one of the things we talked about two weeks ago is each of us continuously demanding to be shown where it is written. You guys remember that discussion? I hope you guys are not at all impressed with or desiring to hear my opinion. And I'm not overly impressed with or desiring to hear your opinion. I want to know what's written, because what written, what's written is what will not deceive me. What, what's written is, is what will not deceive you. And there's a whole lot of shared opinions going on out there, and like Quinn said, I'm not interested in it. I want to know what's written. So what, what's written regarding why we disobey? Yeah, we're we're going to write a list out. Suppose anyone happens to have a whiteboard pen? <laughs> okay, so feelings. Um, Did you hear? I'll, yeah, I'll summarize. Basically, she says um, we will just we will just follow our feelings ultimately, as, as opposed to the Word of God being the ultimate authority the thing to which we submit and obey and, and walk in obedience to, we will just submit and obey and walk in obedience to our feelings. Right? Very popular in culture today. Follow your heart. Right? What is written about the heart? It's deceitful, right? It's, it's easily, it will easily be, be deceived. It will easily deceive us. Right? A great example, something that is written regarding our, our heart and our feelings is they're not to be trusted. Right? They're not to be followed. The heart is not to lead. The heart is to be led. Okay? Very, very important. 
All you emotional men. <laughs> like Kyle. Okay, so we have got to put the truth of God's word above our feelings. You guys know where I see that apply often? Worship. Right? We've been conditioned as the bride of Christ to worship God when it feels right. Or when our feelings can be encouraged by all kinds of stimuli. I personally think it's very honoring to the Father to worship God when we don't feel like it. Right? Because to me that declares the truth of his worthiness that's way beyond whether or not I'm in a good mood or I'm feeling the music or I'm enjoying this particular setup of the room. Right? God's, God's worthiness to be worshipped trumps all those things just like every one of God's commandments in his word trumps how I feel about them. to be disobedient or we in agreement. Amen. Does anyone in here um, disobey God's commandments because of feelings before? Amen. Oh. That's why we celebrate a communion, by the way. The blood covered that. That's, that does not mean, by the way, that you should not repent if something is convicting you right now of a feeling that is causing you to be disobedient. All right, another one. Amen. Example of laziness. Galatians also, wasn't it? 
said, um, uh, God will not, not be deceived. A man that sows in the flesh can only reap destruction. A man that sows in the spirit will reap eternal life. So anything that you do in the flesh, right, just, 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 I just want to satisfy myself. I don't care how innocent it might be. I don't care how secretive it might be. I don't care how acceptable to the rest of the universe it might be. Anything according to the word of God, anything that I do to satisfy my flesh brings destruction. That's a, that's a powerful statement. Diane and I have been in uh, conflicts before. When we would literally admit to each other, we are in the flesh right now. We are 100% being deceived and played like a puppet right now, but it does not matter. We're just going for it. You know, we've literally had that level of, of um, awareness, <laughs> awareness of what's going on yeah. and still agreeing with it. You know, and how does that end? Always in a train wreck. Yeah. Right? Because rebellion always will. Michael? Pride. How, do, how does pride cause disobedience? Exactly right. Anyone else guilty of that? When you think you know better than God. Oh, oh Okay, keep this one in mind when we start getting to uh, the nitty-gritty today. I, I, know, I know better. I know better in this case. I know God's word says this, but I'm pretty sure this will work better. Big one, isn't it? Anyone ever disobey God's commandments based on fear? Woundedness typically create in us. Skewed perception. Maybe of God, of, of His faithfulness, of His people. Yep. I was wounded significantly at one point in my life in the church and through the church, and I had a very skewed perception of pastors. And um, it took a long time for it to be healed. You know, I'd say it's probably still not completely healed. And it has caused disobedience in me. This is a good one. This is a big one. Can you guys believe the, the, the Word of God teaches that the enemy right now in the earth is intending to change the times and the law. 
right? And the Bible speaks about significantly in the New Testament in particular, but in both, to, to be careful and, and on the lookout for false teachers and false prophets who are going to do what? Teach these lies. Teach these deceptions. Right? And that's in the church. That's where we should be safe and protected and should be able to trust what's being taught, what's being said, what's being shown. We've got to constantly demand three words. What are they? It is written. Constantly demand those three words. Right? That's how we're going to be protected, is it not? If it's written, we're on solid ground. Again, like, like I said the other time, if someone, if someone starts off anything by God's doing a new thing, or God's sharing a new thing, or God's saying a new thing, just, I'm not saying 100% of the time that it's incorrect. You just need to have your discernment prepared and the Word of God in your lap so that you can confirm it. Right? Because God is always going to teach what's written. He's always going to share and show what's written. Or it's going to align with what's written. I love that Jeremiah 23 passage. What does, let, let, you know, let him who who is sharing a dream, share his dream, but let him who has my word share my word, because what does the wheat have to do with the chaff? Like, what does Eric's opinion have to do with my word? Nothing. What does someone's new revelation have to do with the truth of God's word? My word comes like a hammer. My word comes like fire. Right? Demand what is written. It's where we're safe. Ethan. Idols. Idols is so huge. I can't hear everything you're saying, but but here's one thing that the Lord taught us, I don't know, a year or so ago. Um, if you ever want to judge whether or not something is an idol in your life, it really comes down to obedience. Right? If you are obedient to something, what it desires, what it needs, what it wants, what it asks for, um, that that's an idol now. Right? Especially when your obedience to that thing causes you to be disobedient to God's word. Right? God's word says this, and your obedience to this thing over here causes you to disobey that. I don't care what this thing is or how acceptable culture says it is, it's an idol. Right? That's a really, really big distinction. Idolatry is what we are obedient to, or an idol is what we are obedient to, big, big deal.
talking about witchcraft. What is the goal of all witchcraft? Rebellion. Right? Witchcraft is the, is the act of the father of lies using pharmacia incantations or, or enchantments to trick or deceive the bride of Christ into rebelling against the divine commandments. That's, that's the definition of witchcraft. So all witchcraft is essentially to cause the bride of Christ to not walk in God's commandments, right, to rebel. So witchcraft takes many, many forms, mostly in the church. In, the, uh, in our day, it's, well, we won't even get into that too, too much to get into. But there's a lot of it going on. Anything that is taught that ultimately pulls you away from keeping God's commandments likely falls into that category. say when I mean old life habits is, um, you know, we all, we all have a post, uh, a pre-born again life, right? And, um, and what the Bible teaches is that, is that when we uh, come to Christ and we have an authentic uh, born again experience, that we literally have uh, our heart of stone removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. Written on that heart of flesh is the law of God. That were, that were given a deposit of literally the, the Spirit of God put inside of us to lead us into all truth. 
and to comfort us and to guide us and to convict us, all those things, and that we literally become, at that moment, a brand new creation, right? And so um, what, what the New Testament writes about over and over again and what the Old Testament prophesies about is that when we have that experience, that our life on one side and the other should look dramatically different, right? And, and yet what happens often and, and, there, and there could be a debate whether it's because there wasn't an authentic born-again moment or there's just a clinging death grip to the things of our old life that we are not willing to let go of. But but that's one of the reasons we, we disobey. Right? We've just always done it this way. I've always done this. I've always had this. I've always desired this. This is how I was. I've always been. You know, and we, and we hold on to that. And yet the Bible says when we when we have that moment, we're a brand new creation. The old is to die, and the new is resurrected with Christ. Pictures in baptism, right? So, so what does Jesus say about this? What's written? Anyone, anyone think of a, a passage that Jesus uses to refer to this? Okay. John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus. Not yourself, right? This is the, this is the to, to me it's such a it's such a critical uh, thing that Jesus says. Um, and specifically when he says that if you try and hold on to your old life, you'll what? You will lose what I'm offering you. And yet if you will lose your old life for my sake, you will be saved, right? So that's that's a that's a super important passage that Jesus is saying you've got to let go, right? The things that you used to think, the things that you used to desire, the things that you used to do are no longer for you, right? And Paul speaks about this often. He's, he speaks about you know just not to walk as you used to walk, not to think as you used to think. You guys think of those passages? Paul talks about them a lot. You know, now that you, this is like Ephesians chapter 4, now that you now that you see what's going on, I insist that you no longer walk in the Gentile view. I insist that you take all of the old things that are contrary and, and, and counter to the commandments of God and, and make this not for you anymore. Okay, this is all super important regarding rubber hits the road commandment we're going to talk about tonight. What's that? Can everyone hear me? Next one is a, a, a um, kind of like an if-then condition. And this one is, um, well, I would be obedient to that if she would just do this. I would, I, I see what I'm commanded to do, and I will do that if they'll respond the correct way. Conditional. It's conditional obedience. Right? Strings attached to obedience. What does Jesus say regarding this type of obedience in like Matthew's Matthew 5, 6, and 7? What's he say? He, doesn't, he says, um, well, surely you're going to love those who love you. Even the pagans do that. Even the tax collectors do that. Conditional obedience is part of the old life. Part of the old creation life. 
unconditional obedience is what truly those who are born again will walk in. Right? So in other words, when I see that this is my role, this is my responsibility, and this is what God commands of me, my obedience to walk in that is not conditioned by her obedience or his response or what. Does that make sense? Super important. Does that mean it's easy to do? No. Right? But this is exactly what Jesus commands of us. Just obey. Okay, last one is um, when, when, when culture begins to, to kind of trump scripture. All right, and, and this, is, um, this is definitely a hot topic uh, today and a hot topic regarding our topic tonight, which is marriage. Um, when, when, when culture begins to seek to redefine what God has already defined, who's ultimately behind that? Okay, we need to be in, we need to be very certain of this. And it does not matter, and in fact, it probably is a pretty good litmus test when we're talking about like the massive majority. So when the massive majority begins to redefine what God has already defined, and, 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 and culture begins to kind of weigh more heavy and begins to become the authority on something like marriage, for example, that can cause us to disobey, to come out of alignment with the truth of God's word and just settle for what culture is saying. Does that make sense? Do we see this happening in marriage? Yes. Right? Big time. And I'll, and I'll, I'll give a silly example, but, but, but let's just be clear about this. Uh, Naomi, by the way, is black. And I'm white. Praise God we had one in the audience. I'm honored. Naomi's black and I'm white. Okay, regardless of how many people sign a petition and run it up the chain and take it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rules on it, if the Supreme Court decides that now Naomi's white and I'm black, that doesn't make it true. Right? That's a silly example I know. But listen, guys, this is literally happening right in front of us. And it is going to happen more in our lifetime. It's going to continue to happen more in our lifetime than it ever has. Everything is up for grabs. Everything. Everything. So we have got to stick with what's written. We have got to know the Word of God. We have got to teach the Word of God to our kids. And most importantly, we have got to walk out and walk in obedience to the Word of God so that we can stay set apart. Right? If we do not do that, we are going to just continue to fall for every lie, every fake, every deception, every cultural change, trumping the Word of God, and all of a sudden the truth is gone. Right? You hear what I'm saying? So we got to know that we got to know what's written. 
So let's talk about what's written regarding marriage. Okay, so um, we don't have we don't have time to go into a ton of this, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll begin. We know in creation um, when we read the creation account. By the way, you you see um, you see characteristics of God and, and desires of God and the, and the order of God on display, right? And you see as He's creating, um, you see very specific kind of um, kind of these patterns of like duality, like two two things that are that are divided and distinct for their specific purposes. Right, he creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates light and dark, and he creates the land and the seas, and, and each is created for its purpose, each is distinct from the other for its purpose, and each ultimately is um, given a role in God's divine, creation-wide, eternal plan. Does that make sense? Um, tons of order, Tons of specificity and lots of duality. Duality meaning um, a part and a counterpart, so to speak. Does that make sense? So um, we see when he creates man, he creates man for a specific purpose, right? With a with a with a high calling, created in the image of God to to um, subdue and and rule over creation, take dominion over creation to to uh, partner with God in his, in his creation process and to carry out the desires of God in the earth. And then um, within that purpose for man, God sees the need for the counterpart, right? He sees man and says he needs a helper. He needs a helpmate. And so woman is created not with a, um, not with a lack of a role, just a role that's not the man's role. Yeah. A role that is a counterpart to the man's role. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like a uh, football team, because again, we're, we have so many world-class athletes in here. You know, we have a quarterback that's got a specific role on the football team. If you are an offensive lineman, and you do not have the same role as the quarterback, it does not mean that you do not have a role, right? You have a very distinct, a very specific role. It's just not the role of the quarterback. Does that make sense? And so what we need to see regarding man and woman, specifically according to God's design and God's purposes, is that we are created different for different roles. The, the distinction and the duality and the, and the counterpart piece is central to God's created design, right? That's what's written, that's what's truth, and, and culture right now is coming against that significantly, right? So what's our, what's our, um, what do we need to be diligent about? Knowing what's written and aligning with what's written. And this might require, by the way, to set aside this, right? It might require, by the way, to set aside this. It might require, by the way, to set aside this. This is one of those non-conditional, as they all are, 
um, areas of obedience that both men and women need to embrace despite what culture might be saying, despite how culture might be trying to redefine things, right? Because it's actually deeper than just this. There's also, um, I think if, if we look at Genesis 2 and we look at the ordering of the creation of man, then the creation of woman, and then kind of the institution of marriage, we see that, that the institution of marriage is, is kind of uh, birthed out of this part and counterpart relationship, right? And, and so um, man needing a helpmate to fulfill his purpose, woman being created to uh, be man's counterpart for the accomplishment of his purpose, being dependent on her playing her part, that creates the, the um, I don't know if needs the right word, but that's what ultimately creates marriage. But that's why a man will leave his family and cleave to his bride and they will become one flesh. Right? Because God's got a, a, a plan for that unit that is necessary. And, and that's a man and a woman. Okay, so, so let's just get super non-PC and say it's only a man and a woman. Right? That is, that is what's written. And so regardless of what culture says and regardless of what the majority may ultimately have changed <coughs> legally, it does not matter. God invented marriage. God created marriage. Marriage is not a convenient social or even sexual mankind uh, idea. It's God's idea. And so God gets to define it. God gets to say who it's for, what it looks like, and that's the end of it because that's what's written. And that does not change. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so we can be in agreement about that in this space fairly easily, right? But it gets a little bit trickier when we talk about where the rubber hits the road regarding a couple of the specific nuances of what this one flesh looks like, all right? And, and, and for this, I think we need to understand that in um, Ephesians chapter 5, let's go there real quick. In Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things that we see about the marriage covenant, the marriage uh, creation by God's design is that it's, um, even though it's central and, and, and critical to uh, the role of man and the role of woman in the earth, as God's image bearers carrying out God's divine uh, intentions and plans, it actually points to something larger as well. Right? And, and what do we learn through Ephesians chapter 5 that the marriage ultimately points to? Right? The marriage between the bride and the bridegroom. Right? So, so uh, God does nothing by chance and God does nothing by accident. Everything is, is bigger and more breathtaking than we know. Right? And it's one of the, one of the um, critical reasons why we have absolutely no place and we must protect so vigilantly against changing these things. 
because they all point to something larger. They're signposts or types and shadows of something much, much larger, right? The bride of Christ is, is, is uh, ultimately going to uh, experience what we read in Revelation 21 and 22, right? The, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the reunion of the bride and the bridegroom, the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. What we experience in a marriage of the earth is all pointing towards that. So for us to redefine it, for us to change it, for us to tweak it, for us to think that it's ours to, to make work with what we want is, is necessarily going to lose what God intended for originally. Does that make sense? And this is why purity and no, and no mixing is, so, is such a cover-to-cover -cover theme in Scripture, right? Because everything is about something more. Everything is bigger than we know. Everything is is more powerful and, and beautiful and and um, there's just more for us than we know. And so and so and so for us to keep things pure, for us to stick with what's written, for us to not be deceived about anything that the enemy is trying to change is very, very critical. Does that make sense? We all in agreement about this, okay? So um, now go to First Corinthians chapter eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah, everyone. The, the Ephesians five passage, by the way, if you're taking notes and want to read it when you get home, uh, twenty-two through thirty-three. It's one of two areas really where Paul talks about marriage being a, a kind of a, a picture of of the culmination of God's plan, uh, the, the um, culmination of God's plan obviously is Revelation 21, 1 through 5 specifically, but, uh, but Revelation 21 and 22, both chapters talk about that marriage, marriage supper and the, and the reunion of the bride and the bridegroom. So 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. this and then we'll be done. I have much more, but we'll say that for next week. First Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. Someone want to read it out loud?
Okay, so listen to me. As, as much as we can be in agreement that what is written is that a marriage is between a man and a woman, and that specifically the reason that that cannot be changed is because we don't have a place to change it. We are not God. We did not define or create marriage. God is God, and he's the one that created it, and he did so for very specific reasons that cannot be changed. And so as much as we can be in agreement regarding that foundation of marriage, something that the Word of God is equally clear about is this sort of ordering within the marriage. And, um, and all of the implications that this requires, the, the Bible speaks plainly about. All right? The problem is we don't want to align with it. The problem is this requires some things of us that we're not okay with. And specifically because culture is seeking to teach and motivate us to not be okay with this. Right? As much as it's, it's saying a marriage can be between two men or two women, right? It's also saying this ordering can be moved. Right? Whatever's convenient, whatever fits for you, whatever works for you, whatever uh, you decide, that's what's going on. Right? And so, and so we need to stick with what's written, we need to know what's written, and we need to understand what it means. All right? Because there are some very specific things that um, it means that man is the head of the wife. Uh, I'm sorry, man is the head of the woman. That means some very specific things. Okay? And it's not good enough for us to see that it's written, to believe that it's truth, to say, yes, I understand that. We actually have to walk out what that means in our marriages and in our lives. Are we in agreement about that? There's, there's much that this means that we need to discuss. There's much that it means that Christ is the head of the man that we need to understand and discuss. Right? It means something to us husbands that Christ is the head of us. That means some very, very specific things regarding how we relate to him and how we relate to her. Right? It meant some very specific things that God is the head of Christ. Did you guys know that, by the way? I, don't, I can't explain to you how that works. I know that the fullness of the deity of God dwells in Christ, but I also know that the word of God says that God is greater than Jesus. Amen. And that God is the head of Jesus. I don't know how it works. I just know that that's what's written. Because I know that that's what's written, I can also say, I want to look at Christ's life to know how he responded to God being his head. Right? Because that's how I'm going to respond as a man to Christ being my head. And that's how a woman is going to respond to man that man is her head. Does that all make sense? So we're going to, we're going to look at Christ's life and specific examples from Christ's life, knowing that God is the head of Christ so that we can see how he walked that out. Why would we do that? Because he walked it out correctly. Because he was not influenced by culture, because he, he was not swayed by the majority, because he did not fear offending anybody, because he knew what was written, and he aligned with it perfectly. 
and it informed and it and it um, dictated literally every word that came out of his mouth, literally every step that he took. And our place, guys, as the as the saints of God, are to do the same thing. Woman regarding man, man regarding Christ. This is a big deal. This is absolutely under attack in our life time more than it ever has been. And so I need all of us to be in one accord about how critical it is that this ordering, by the way, I would argue, this ordering is just as important as marriage being about man and a woman. I really believe that. As much as it would bother us to hear a man and a man get married, I think we need to look at a woman being in this position and a man being in this position in the same way. It's just as out of alignment. By the way, if you're not married, obviously, then you move up a spot. <laughs> Just one spot. So when we talk about this next week, I say that to say, um, single, single people, come. Because this still applies. It's, it's bigger than a marriage. But it is very central to marriage. And I'm telling you that uh, I'll give him that next week. Yes. Okay? Lord, uh, I just thank you for the patience of everyone in this room, for the patience of the kids in particular. And, um, and Lord, the things that you have begun to, to uh, teach us and open our eyes to tonight, I pray would uh, just work inside of us for the next seven days. I pray that your spirit would continue to... Uh, guide each of us into your truth, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, convict us of, of the things in our life, Lord, that are, that are causing us to be disobedient or to not perfectly align with your commandments. I pray that each of us will be moved um, inside to, to alignment, into alignment. I pray that you will continue to expose by your word and by your spirit, the lies of the enemy that are keeping us from obedience, that are keeping us from trusting, that are keeping us from seeing and obeying what is written. We just, we just come, come against all those lies, all the lies of the enemy. I pray each of our lives, Lord, your spirit would show us the lies that we are holding. That there would be genuine repentance, that there would be a genuine desire to come into alignment. I pray a special blessing over every marriage, Lord, that you would protect us, even over the next seven days, protect us as we begin to, to, to truly uh, see what your word says regarding the order in the household, authority, submission, headship, covering. We trust you. I just... I just declare, I trust you, Father God, with my marriage. I trust what's written. I trust what you have created and the, and the design for it and the desire for it and the destiny for it. And all I want is, is more 
Oh, I almost forgot my phone. I would have left and 